Another way that we can worship our God is to hear his voice. So we're going to have first reading from Isaiah chapter 58. Again, if you need to get out your phones to read, uh, the reading will not be on the screen today. So. The first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, starting at verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please, on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. This is going to be hard to read without getting exciting. A very exciting psalm. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 8. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. We stand as we have the reading from the gospel. Reading from Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 10. Luke 13, verse 10. On Shabbat, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on Shabbat, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on Shabbat. The Lord answered him, you hypocrite. Doesn't each of you on Shabbat untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on Shabbat from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Father, we are your needy children. And Lord, we do look, for, look to you for provision. And Lord, as we think about your word and the activities, the life and activities of your son, Jesus, we pray, Lord, that uh, his life, his example, his teaching will sustain us and guide us and enable us, Lord, to have a clear understanding of who he is and what it means to be his disciple. Again, we ask this in your mercy. Amen. So today we're going to look at the passage in Luke, the passage from Luke chapter 13. It's a story that appears only in Luke, and it's a story, while it's rich in itself, I'd like to um, put it perhaps in a bigger context so that um, we have maybe a little bit of a better understanding of Luke, of what Luke is trying to tell us uh, about Jesus. But on first glance, the story or the incident appears to be just one of those Jesus has an encounter, not a positive one, with the religious authorities of his day. 
And uh, it'd be very easy to categorize this story or this, again, this incident, you know, Jesus versus the synagogue or it's law against grace or we want to be Pauline, it's spirit against the flesh. But I think we need to understand the story in its Jewish context and perhaps understand the story even more so in a human context. And so we have Jesus all through the Gospels and uh, later the Apostles uh, throughout the New Testament. They are entering in to uh, many different internal Jewish debates. And uh, in the time of Jesus, there was a debate uh, and and quite a bit of uncertainty of what it meant to keep the Sabbath. You might say the interpretation of the scripture wasn't fully clear. And therefore, we have uh, this encounter between a synagogue official uh, and uh, Jesus himself. Jesus will respond uh, in a Jewish way using scripture and a scriptural method uh, of interpretation. Uh, interpretation, but there's probably nothing that Jesus actually did that in any way broke or uh, the the understanding of what it meant to uh, observe the Sabbath. It is true that the Sabbath, um, but the Sabbath was becoming uh, more and more important, or the observance of the Sabbath was becoming more and more central to the Jewish people during this time, it became, um, you might say, intertwined with uh, Jewish identity, along with kosher food laws and circumcision. These were the, you might say, the pillars of uh, Jewish identity and what it meant to belong to the Jewish community. It's certainly true that the Sabbath, and we shouldn't minimize this, is the most important or the holiest day of the year. Contrary to public opinion, it's not Yom Kippur or it's not Passover. How do we know that? Well, we know it from inference because you can, if you violate Yom Kippur, according to the scripture, you're cut off from your people. That's interpreted as excommunication. Excommunication. If you violate the Shabbat, in principle at least, rarely in practice, you could have been stoned to death. Okay? So this, again, the Sabbath has huge, huge importance in, in, uh, the, in the scripture, a huge importance for the Jewish people. I don't think we should minimize that but we're probably dealing with an uneducated, uninformed synagogue official. And this synagogue official, maybe for reasons that are more human than theological, wants to kind of keep control on things. Yes, 
He wants to make sure that the community goes along with his understanding. And um, we don't have to look very far in our history, and we don't have to look back and point fingers at the Jewish people, because surely as believers, we all know, yes, congregations and pastors and leaders who have worked very hard Yes, to somehow keep the grace of God from reaching others or from qu or quenching the spirit or stopping renewal in one way or another or squashing the place of women uh, especially or somehow uh, trying to keep such control, yes, over their congregations. And it could be for doctrinal reasons, yes, theological reasons. It could be for political reasons. Um, very often um, leaders do this uh, out of some emotional um, brokenness, right? They have some anxiety about maybe about losing control or they have, uh, you know, some need to um, um, be in charge, whatever, whatever it may be. I've, I've used this example before, but I, a long time ago I knew a, um, a congregation and they had a church split in the congregation. And the elders of the church, they wanted more involvement. They wanted uh, to have uh, more responsibility. And the pastor kept saying, you know, no, it really, it's not about the elders. It's about the pastors. Let me show you the verses in the Bible. I, and when I heard this story or heard about this incident and how the congregation broke up, I, I knew something about the pastor. His parents were alcoholics, which meant usually if you grow up as a child of alcoholics, you can't trust anybody. Yes, you have to do everything yourself because you never know when people are going to let you down. But here was a, you might say, here was uh, a wound or here was uh, some brokenness. And yet it was being, you might say, covered over, yes, with theology. And sometimes it's very difficult because in the church, we, whether it's ambition or fear or worry or greed, we, we can hide behind theology. When in actual fact, theology or doctrine isn't necessarily the real issue. And what causes me to think that our synagogue official was, I don't know, uh, maybe something less than mature in all of this, is that he stirs up the people against Jesus, but doesn't address Jesus himself. Okay? Now, if you're thinking, he's a little crazy, because surely I know that Jesus is against those traditions of men. He doesn't like those things. I mean, after all, Jesus isn't uh, legalistic. 
Um, like some people think of Jesus sort of as a religious Elvis Presley, you know, uh, a religious rebel, a guy who rides into town on his Harley, you know, with the wild bunch. No, I mean the 12 apostles. And they're going to break, you know, they're going to attack the religious establishment and all those rules, etc., etc. I think we need to be very careful about that. Very careful. Because Jesus isn't against tradition, and he's not against ritual. In fact, when those traditions or those rituals lead to holiness or godliness, he happily accepts them. For example, saying a blessing before the meal. Do you find that in the Bible? Nope. The scripture tells us or commands us is to say a blessing after the meal. But the Jewish people somewhere during the time of Jesus, they started saying a blessing before the meal. And why not? Because they said that anybody who takes something good from God without first saying thank you is a thief. Who wants to be a thief? That's not in the Bible. It's a tradition. By the way, it's a tradition most of us practice today. And having wine at Passover, where do you find that in the Bible? Or going to synagogue, where does it say one should go to synagogue, right? Going to synagogue is a good thing. Reading from the scripture in the synagogue is a good thing. Preaching is a good thing. All of those things that we might take for granted Yes, they're all customs that develop, yes, before or during the time of Jesus. If the custom or the ritual, whatever it may be, is employed to circumvent God's word, to give one an excuse or an easy way out, then Jesus will condemn it and say, this is the traditions of men. And he does so in Mark chapter 7 when he addresses the Pharisees and the way they are circumventing the commandment to honor one's mother and father, father. Okay? So that's, I think that context is really uh, very important for us. And further, I think that the whole story, or again, the whole, it does one thing, uh, best of all, is that it illustrates, right, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus preaches the kingdom of heaven as he embodies the kingdom of heaven. He is the center of this kingdom of heaven movement. Yet all of that can be somewhat abstract. The kingdom not only needs to be preached, but the kingdom needs to be illustrated. And that's why we have parables. And the kingdom needs to be demonstrated. Otherwise, it's just theology in a book. And you may remember that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the kingdom of heaven is not just about talking and preaching and theology books, but the kingdom of heaven is about power, right? It's God's power, right, entering into the lives of men and women. Right? It's God through Jesus begins to take control 
of human affairs in a way that he's never done before. And when God begins to take control, and when he begins to rule and reign, yes, he always rules and reigns redemptively. Right? He always rules and reigns in, he, in a way that he comes to fix and to repair. And in the case of Luke's gospel, it's not just the fixing of the world, but it is liberation and freedom. This is the gospel about being free. Yes, this is a gospel about release and restoration. This is the central theme of this gospel. Yes, where every gospel has a central theme. Mark has his you know, bruising encounter with Satan uh, in, a, in the opening chapter of the gospel. John has a prologue that tells us that Jesus uh, was, Jesus is the word and was, is, is God and was with God from the beginning. Matthew's gospel, it, it, the Sermon on the Mount becomes the pivot, right, of, of Matthew's story. But for Luke, Yes, what is the central theme, yes, that uh, permeates the gospel and permeates the book of Acts? It's, of course, as most of us know, don't need reminding, but it doesn't hurt. It's Jesus sitting down in a synagogue in Nazareth. And uh, it says, um, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up on Yes, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. There we go. Jesus going along with the customs of men. I don't know what to tell you. It says as follows. Uh, unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's quoting from Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release, sorry, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And here Jesus leaves Isaiah 61 and puts in some verses from Isaiah 58. Very Jewish way of teaching and preaching. And then he goes on this to say, um, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor is a year of jubilee. Right, it's seven times seven, seven sabbatical years times seven, which equals 49. It's a year where um, debts are forgiven, where property is returned to its original owners, slaves go free, right? That's the concrete, that's what the, that's what the ministry of Jesus is doing. It's a year of jubilee for people. It is a time of grace and mercy and compassion. Yeah. Uh, the judgment, the final, final judgment has been delayed. There will be a final judgment. But this is the time in which God's mercy, his grace, his compassion, right, is bringing liberation, yes, to all of those uh, who, who so desire, yes? And that liberation, yes, finds its manifestation 
oftentimes, but not always, in healing. And healing and deliverance and salvation in Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts, yes, are linked together in a way uh, that isn't found, I don't think, in other portions of Scripture. Right? The healing ministry of Jesus, the liberate the the, uh, the ministry of Jesus that brings again release and liberation from slavery, any kind of slavery, any kind of indebtedness, not only indebtedness to sin, but in our gospel, it's indebted. It's it is a um, imprisonment, you might say, or it is a um, uh, enslavement by the devil himself and by the demonic. And so we have just a really good example in Acts chapter 10, which I like. Um, here's Peter speaking to the Italian guy, Cornelius, and he says the following. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. God was with him. Now, I know this will be controversial, but listen carefully so I'm not misquoted. Yes, it, whether it's the book of Revelation or the book of Hebrews, Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, John's gospel, there is an emphasis on Jesus going to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. I, I do not want to minimize the importance but the atonement is not simply for the forgiveness of our sins, right? It is also the very thing that defeats death and it is the very thing that defeats Satan in this life and in this life and in the life to come. And we need to make sure that we look at the whole package. Um, and so Luke's gospel doesn't tell us anything or mentions very little about Jesus being uh, the sacrificial lamb. That's basic New Testament understanding, and we'll find it in other New Testament books. But largely, this is, a, this is Jesus the liberator, the one who confronts the devil. And the woman that we met in the synagogue, she had been oppressed 18 years by the devil. Was it, was it not true? So, so we have the illustration, you might say, very tangible, uh, or the demonstration of what the kingdom of heaven, um, what the kingdom of heaven is all about. That Jesus indeed comes to liberate and to liberate us from, uh, from the devil. And I think that we should have that expectation, yes, that whatever enslaves us, yes, if we're willing to give it up, if we're willing to, because a lot of time our addictions or our fears 
or our sin, we become very comfortable with these things. Yes, dysfunctionally so, but still very comfortable. And change seems sometimes impossible, which it's not. And change seems hard. And some of us may not want to do the hard work or even to go through a time of pain uh, in, order to, in order to be free. And I think if we're going to talk about liberation, we do need to point, yes, to what biblical yeah, liberation looks like. Because we live at a time, yeah, in which everybody values freedom. Everybody wants to be free. Nobody wants to have, um, what shall we say, restrictions. Nobody wants to be caged in by society, by society's rules, by patriarchy, by white privilege, by political ideologies, whether they're conservative or, or liberal, yes? Um, in fact, in the Western world, the idea is I have to be free to be me. And anything that gets in the way of me being me or anything that gets in the way of human flourishing, push it aside. Yes, the goal is freedom. <sighs> Just to be free. That's not biblical. That's diabolical. And I'll tell you why. Because freedom in and of itself is either can be neutral or dangerous. God frees us and God liberates us, right? He takes us from slavery to whether it's the slavery of sin, the fear of death, being enslaved to the devil. Maybe we're enslaved to generations of curses that have come down through our family line or one pattern after another that seems difficult to break. Yes, we're set free from all of that in order to do what? Not just to be me or to be myself or to sit by the pool and have a, a pina colada and listen to classic rock. We're set free from all those things, right? In order to give ourselves fully to God, in order to serve God or to submit to him. And the best example is the exodus from Egypt. Yes, God saved the people of Israel and by the way, he, there was nothing they deserved. Yes, it was grace. He brought them in their undeserved state from Egypt to Sinai before they went to the promised land and sat under their own fig and their own vine. And in the in, at Sinai, God says to Israel, now that I've liberated you, now that you're free, I want to rule over you. I want to rule over you. And that's the same thing that happens to us in Christ. Yes, it's, it's the grace of God, right, that, um, that comes to us as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, we don't deserve it. But in that freedom, in, that, in the process of being delivered, right, from one entanglement or enslavement, uh, and another, right, 
the Lord says, now I want to rule over you. First Corinthians 6 puts it in an interesting way. He said, he said, you've been bought with a price. You are not your own, right? Therefore glorify God in your body. And in that, and in that context, it's talking about immorality, sexual immorality. Yes, so, so our story, again, just illustrates what the kingdom of God is like. And something to finish with, what is the lesson in all of this? The lesson is that uh, in the, at the beginning of the chapter, in chapter 13, when uh, people talk about a tower in Jerusalem falling on people, and they ask Jesus, well, what sin did they commit? And what is the response of Jesus? The response of Jesus is repent, because there is a first, first death, and without repentance, there will be a second death. And for Jesus, repentance is something that should be immediate. So it's not something we, we to wait and think about. And here in this synagogue, and then the synagogue incident, the ruler of the synagogue is telling Jesus, wait till tomorrow. You don't have to do this. And again, I'd like to emphasize that there was nothing in Jewish law that prevents the laying on, laying on of hands and healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus doesn't want to wait. And you know, when the Lord visits us, when we sense the grace of God, or we see or, or understand that God is at work in our life, we better not wait, yes? We better respond immediately. Yes, and it's not just by responding with repentance, which is the, the most important first step. And by the way, it's a, it's a key to healing, and it's a key to liberation. But we need to respond by recognizing the visitation of God. We need to respond by God is at work, and not only is God at work, yes, I have to make a response. I'm not going to put it off until tomorrow. I'm not going to wait till next week. You know, I'm being convicted about my computer time. I'm being convicted about my addiction. I'm being convicted about, you know, the way I treat others in my family or the whatever it may be. God is moving in a special way, and we don't say, "Wait a minute." I'm going to stop that because it might get out of control. Yes. We don't want to be like so many others throughout the history of the church as who've tried to put God in a box and for one reason or another tried to squash him or have held redemption and uh, back from, uh, from others. What a horrible accounting on Judgment Day, we'll have to give if that's something that we have done or are in the process of doing. So we, ha we have no choice, I think, but surely to respond yeah, to God's grace and God's mercy, right? And to have that fuller, fullest understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
And I'd like to close with this. Have you, did you notice that the woman who was healed didn't have any faith? She didn't ask to be healed. She didn't say the Jesus prayer, the Jabez prayer. She didn't get anointed 300 times. She didn't, I mean, certainly all of those things are wonderful or can be wonderful, right? She doesn't uh, express faith like the woman hemorrhaging, the woman with the issue of blood, the man on the road to Jericho. Yeah, it's completely different, right? There's no formula. I think all of us can and should expect, yes, God to act in a surprising way, not to be shocked, right, but to have enough grace to say yes, uh, to and cooperate with him in the way that he responds. And finally, it's not that God is doing these things. These are the very things he asked us to do. Remember Jesus in earlier chapters says to those disciples and apostles, go out and preach the kingdom of God. Go out and heal the sick or cast out demons, right? Right? The nature of the kingdom is to bring reconciliation. It's to bring blessing to people. It's to bring reconciliation. It is to bring wholeness and healing um, and ultimately to bring release. It happens through repentance. Right? It's not uh, a therapeutic program, but uh, the Holy Spirit will empower us Right, to bring that same message with that same power yes, to those around us. But first and foremost, we need to make sure we have a clear vision of what this kingdom is all about. So Father, we again pray that in your mercy, Lord, that uh, all of us will allow your son Jesus to, to rule and reign over us, to bring blessing and to bring redemption even if such a blessing brings pain, forces us to change, forces us to be disciplined, to practice self-sacrifice, whatever it may be, Lord, we ask that uh, you would give all of us the grace, the necessary grace for liberation. And we do ask these things to be liberated. And we do ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.